difference when you have a six foot tall purple dragon as opposed to a regular ass, you know, like rhombus kite yeah. thing, you know? Well, that's the thing about kites is it's funny because uh, you could literally do anything with a kite. Like, they could be any shape and be weird things. Well, mostly. And, yeah, mostly. It's got to be aerodynamic. I've seen, uh, like, these massive, like, octopus looking kites. And so the strings are attached to, like, the head of the octopus. Okay. And then the legs float around freely and stuff. Oh. It looks super cool just staring at it, you know, because it looks like a sky octopus. I don't know, man. I'm a sucker for dumb shit like that. Oh, that's fair. I mean, my dad used to go there and fly the kite. And I don't know, man. It was just fun, you know? Yeah, let's go fly a kite, man. That's what Mary Poppins said, right? I think. I don't know. I've never seen uh, it. Maybe Joe Rogan? No, no, no. <laughs> Definitely not. I think they had a song about it. I think that's what they saw. i actually seen Saving Mr. Banks more than I've seen Mary Poppins. I've only seen Mary Poppins a handful of times. I've seen like every remake of Mary Poppins, though, except the new one that's on the agenda. I actually heard it isn't that bad. I, heard yeah, Dumbo, I wouldn't doubt it. I heard Dumbo isn't that bad either. Uh, the thing's too creepy for me, man. Yeah. I want to be able to sleep at night. It's not even just that. It's just uh, I hate adding extra layers to stories that doesn't necessarily need it. You, you know how we feel about remakes. And yeah, this is redexes. true. I, uh, we were at a brewery last night. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, this uh, winner's over sale, and they ha- they have really nice merch for a brewery. Okay, and it was a long sleeve tea and a beanie for thirty bucks, and I was like, hell yeah! And uh, dude, that that fucking tea is stupid soft. I was like, wow, this is better than some of the band merch out there I have. Did I uh, tell you that I made a friend on? Um, yeah, you mentioned overseas, Siege. right? Yeah, there's a brewery out in Colorado or something. No, Buffalo, Buffalo. Yeah. Oh, Buffalo! Damn, you should have said something. Yeah, he uh, froth brewery out in Buffalo. He said. Um, but I didn't really get to talk to him about it because I'm like, oh my, we were playing with him and I'm like, oh man, my buddy just came back from Buffalo. This was like a couple months ago. Yeah. My buddy just came back from Buffalo and you know, the whole brewery thing and every time I die, I'm like, maybe Gabe had a, had a beer. I don't know. But, uh, other than that, man, you, uh, you ready to get going? Yeah, man. What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Second City Kids Podcast, episode number 113. Wow, 113, man. Yeah, trucking along, man. Uh, what we are, was the, uh, we're two episodes away from Element 115. You remember that in Zombie Storyline? Element what? 115. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, man, uh, we're back on a beautiful day on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. It's been a nice weekend, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a little drizzly. They're, I think they said torrential downpour, but light raindrops here and there. Yeah, not, nothing too bad so far today. No. Which is a beautiful day because... Uh, today's WrestleMania. Yeah, man. Always a good day to wrestle, right? Yep. So uh, that's why I, I try to do this as early as possible because basically after this, I'm going to sit down and watch wrestling for the next eight hours because it's like the longest event in recorded history. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, so that's today's WrestleMania day. So that's why I'm, I'm pretty amped, pretty excited. Uh, this is like a holiday for me every year. Very cool. It's Very bit, cool. It's more important to me than Easter, which is kind of sad, I guess. But uh, it Hey, is. man, do you. Yeah. Your family, your house. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but other than that, man, how, how was your week, Gabe? Man, it was pretty good up until this morning. Uh, my mom got a phone call from uh, one of her close friends. And so my mom and this person's grandma are like mm-hmm. best friends. And okay. I used to like babysit him, hang around with him. And apparently he's dead. And, you know, it's it was kind of like out of the blue, you know, mm. like sometimes I don't want to say like I forgot about him, but like sometimes you don't keep in touch with people and yeah. then boom, next thing you know, they're dead. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like, you know, like we were about to leave the house and she's like, She's like on the phone, you know, like, you know, when something's up with your mom, yeah. that voice. And I was like, what's up, mom? And she's like, oh, like Matt died. And I was like, holy shit. Eesh. Like this kid didn't, you know, he didn't even make it to 21. 
What happened? And uh, we don't know yet. They're still determining it, but oh. it was kind of like a like a rude wake up this morning, you know? Eesh. Sorry to hear yeah. that, my friend. Ew. So rough. Ew. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of sad, no? Like, Absolutely. Like, think about it. If, you, if you're the last one out of your friend group to live... You're going to see all your other buddies die. How sad is that? That is pretty sad. That's pretty brutal, huh? That's metal as fuck. And I'm sad because I'm uh, I'm the youngest in my group of friends. Well, other than you, but like my high school group of friends, I was yeah. the youngest, so I'm probably going to watch out my Ponce and Nikki and Harding die. <laughs> well, I, I was like my like group of friends, they all have a terrible like vice, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like they didn't get taken by those vices. Oh, okay. You know? I got like what one, one of them like works himself to death like every day. Like he's Mr. Ten Hours goes home and continues to code, you know? Yeah. Like he's he's your age. He's twenty five and he has gray hair. Oh god. Yeah. Kinda rough, man. Yeah, but. man, it's it's been a rough week on here as well. Um yeah, my my grandpa had an had an issue earlier this week. Um off your dad's side? Yeah, was the only one I have left. Right. Um, so he had an issue where he lost like a lot of blood because he had a, a kidney I don't want to put his business out there, but he had like a, an operation done and uh they botched it a little bit, so he was losing like a large amount of blood. Lost like two liters of blood or something like that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So um, fortunately, um, that whole situation kind of turned around once we got him kind of figured out what was wrong with him. They were able to kind of fix him up pretty quickly. So is it time to sue or? Well, I don't know if it's time to sue. I mean, I don't, it's not really high on the priority list right now. What's high on the priority list is making sure that he's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, it turns out it looks like he's going to make it out okay, which is good news because I don't know about you. I'm sick of watching people die. So, yeah, man. It's kind of rough. Yeah. So you think that this would be a later stage in our life, but yeah, you know, well, like I said, the last 10 years or so have been complicated. I had an, uh, you know, we, we did the podcast sh- not so shortly after my grandpa, my grandpa on my mom's side died. So uh, it sucks, but I'm glad that he's okay and he made it out fine. Yeah, man. We just so, got to keep pushing, right? Yep, absolutely. So we got to, uh, well, maybe before we dive into that, take care of yourself and your friends, man. Yeah, absolutely. Stay healthy, mentally healthy. All that shit's important. For sure, for sure. So we got, uh, I, I think the movies and TV are probably the most juicy this week. Yeah, we absolutely. We got some, some good stuff on here. So let's get rolling with uh, The Dead Don't Die. This, yeah. They dropped the poster and apparently the trailer. I have not seen the trailer. I've yet. seen the trailer. Um, and this movie came out of the blue. It wasn't on any list earlier this year. It was just kind of like but Shazam. Well, not literally Shazam. But this movie has, an, I would say, a pretty good modern all-star cast. I use modern because, you know, you don't get like Johnny Depp or Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. But we have Selena Gomez. I think she's a good actress. I kinda, eh. I enjoy her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin Butler. I love Austin Butler. He did uh, Nesdy Classified, Zoe 101, and yeah. a bunch of other stuff. I think he's very underrated. Yeah. Adam Driver. Love Adam Driver. Yeah. You ever see the SNL skit with him? No. Oh, my God. We, he's like an oil uh, Mongol. Oh, oh he's man. fucking hilarious. I lost my shit. I got to show you that after the show. Bill Murray. Nothing to be said there except it's Bill fucking Murray. Yeah. Hey, maybe they'll keep him alive this movie. Maybe. Uh, Tilda Swinton. Love her. She thinks she did a fantastic job in Constantine. Steve Buscemi. I made a comment the other day because we were talking about this movie. Steve Buscemi is going to make the greatest zombie ever, period. Yeah. Put him in the makeup and just have him talk. Yeah. That's all you need to do. That's pretty good. Uh, Tom Waits. Danny Glover. Iggy Pop, Rosie Perez. That's kind of a big lineup for a movie that, I don't know, just kind of came on our radar as of this week, right? Yeah, absolutely. So t- talk to me about this trailer because, I, like I said, I have not seen it yet. So, yeah, the, the trailer came out. Uh, I actually saw the trailer before I saw the poster, and literally as you showed me the poster, I just finished watching it. I'm like, literally, I just saw that. You're like, oh, I had it on the docket. I'm like, it's already done. <laughs> Very cool. So uh, I saw the trailer, and it, it, it has, because it's Bill Murray, it has an undertone of funny to it, right? So that's fine. I mean, it's Bill fucking Murray, like you said. So he's going to be able to do whatever the fuck he wants. He's going to get away with it. Um, as far as the project, I think it's interesting because uh, it turns out that, I guess, based on, I don't know how much information you want to know, but that um, 
Bill Murray is like the grizzled old veteran cop, and Adam Driver is kind of the by the book rookie. Oh my god! Yeah, so um, <laughs> I was one day away from retiring. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Um, so they got that going, and um, basically, Bill, Bill Murray's character is the type of character that doesn't take anything seriously. And Adam Driver's character is like, well, what the fuck do we do? What's going on? And the whole zombie apocalypse thing happens. So what is this? A drama? A romance? I uh, think it's a, I think it's more along the lines of a comedy. Comedy? Uh, okay. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know how over the top they're going to be. They're going to have the action moments, obviously, because it's a zombie film. You have to have those moments. But I think with uh, Bill Murray and Adam Driver kind of playing off each other, it's going to lend himself to more of a comedy environment. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it, was, it was interesting looking. Uh, they definitely took a... Um, Kind of a low budget idea and gave it kind of the polish of a high, of a high budget. They said, "Let's make a B movie with uh, with some really good yeah actors, actresses, and, and hopefully plot." Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, man, because I think we don't get enough of these type of movies well, these days. Here's my thing: I'm glad to see the zombie genre in its resurgence because it definitely started off with, for me at least, was the uh, was it the the George Romero remake in 05 was it Day of the Dead. Or was it uh, with that the was mall? Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. There we go. He has, I think there's a Day of the Dead too. And that's the yeah, one where the zombies get smarter. Or yeah, I'm pretty sure. But uh, Dawn of the Dead was kind of when my zombie interest was like peaked, you know? And um, and then you hit like the 2010 era, like you get zombies EP, you get all this shit cranking out left and right. Zombies, 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 zombies. Everybody uh, like zombie dice, the Steve Jackson game. Everything was zombies. Yep. Uh, Walking Dead, you name it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The Nazi zombies. Etc. Etc. Right. Yeah. And then we kind of saw this point where like got sick of it. <laughs> 2014, 2015, everybody was like, all right, enough is enough. Yeah. No I'm excited to see this coming back because I think the beauty in like a zombie movie is like, it's really at the end of the day, you can add whatever <clears throat> genre you want to it. Yep. But that's not the beauty. The beauty is, is essentially gore porn, but you don't feel bad. You know, like you don't feel disgusted like when you're watching like Saw or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, the, the reason why is because it's zombies. It's not, yeah, it's exactly. not a human Yeah. And I think that's like a, like a, I don't, it, it still is a guilty pleasure because, you know, Absolutely. there's those hardcore Christians out there and whatever that don't want to watch it. But I think going into it, if you want to see some, some bloody guts and, you know, shit like that, I think zombie movies are just there. It's almost like a guilty, guilt-free pass. Make sense? Oh, no, you're right. You're definitely right. Um, and like you said, I was probably part of the, the wave of people who were just kind of sick of it after a while because, like you said, it was oversaturation. For me, uh, the highlight of it was, you know, The Last of Us. And after that, I'm like, well, nothing's ever going to come close. I, as far as a serious tone, nothing's ever going to get better for me personally as far as zombie goes. So, I mean, like I said, we took some time off. Obviously, Zombieland kind of was the first one to kind of – oh, Shaun of the Dead was kind of the, the first one. Shaun to of the Dead was fucking excellent. Yeah, to kind of combine those two things, the comedy kind of with the and dark. And then we got uh, Warm Bodies, which is the comedy one. And yeah, which also – it was like a romantic comedy. Romance, yeah. Yeah. And there was – yeah, there was a lot of zombie stuff. But I feel like now that – like, like 2019 might be the resurgence of zombies because we got the Resident Evil 2 remaster, which was phenomenal. Yeah. We're getting this, Zombieland 2. Yeah. You know, and yeah. now, you know, we'll see. I, I, I hope this is going to be uh, like when the fireworks die down and you get one last big one. Yeah. I don't hope, I'm not hoping for a whole ass another show. You want, you want a swan song. You want that final Maybe show not right? a swan song. I want a couple things here and there that are quality because it's, it's hard to fuck up a zombie movie, but it's really easy to make it boring. You no, know? no, you're right. You're definitely right. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see what it, what it looks like moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, they gave us some time to miss it, and now it's back. Granted, not as much as a lot of other properties, but absolutely. Um, I, I think there's something to be said about uh, like the horror aspect, and the you could even say Halloween is gore porn, really. Yeah, a, a decent chunk of it, and I'm glad 
it's making a comeback in this sense, like the horror aspect and the body dysmorphia, all that stuff. I think that's entertaining. Absolutely. In, in a in a fantasy setting. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because I, I got faces of death if you want to watch people get fucking mutilated if that's what you're down for. Man, we could talk about fucked up movies for a whole ass podcast. Let's yeah. move on. So talk to me about Avengers. So obviously, I mean, hey, man, the tickets went on sale. And I'm going to say that this is 150% intentional. They waited to the last minute to drop these tickets. So there was this massive buzz about it, about nobody being able to get on and get tickets. Right. I, I think that's a fair thing because I, I think, first of all, Disney has the money resources an allocation and I'm sure if they were genuinely concerned about these servers not going down they would have funneled money into AMC and be like hey don't fuck this up yeah, but I think they were going for the whole Avengers broke the internet yeah again absolutely you know? I yeah. think they were going for that that is a very big part of it 100% um, so obviously like you said AMC uh, basically their their mobile app and their website went down for probably about 12 hours nobody was able to get in or out uh, Fandango fared a little bit better uh, they had a, a digital queue. I think you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Was it you? No, somebody mentioned it that uh, you know that these online websites that sell tickets have developed kind of a, a way of not being able to bombard their website by creating a digital line that you have to wait and they're like just wait here until your time is coming. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then they allow allow you access to the website. Um, now when I hopped on. Um, I, I had to wait for an hour, <laughs> but the upside of that is that I was on my phone, so I just tabbed out. Or, you know, refresh, refresh, refresh. Yeah. No, now you have to refresh. I just let it sit there until I'm like, okay, that's been about an hour. Oh, 10 minutes left. Sweet. You know what I mean? Nice. So uh, I got my tickets. I got myself an early showing on that, that Sunday. Oh, so I'll be able to review it on the pod fresh in mind. Um, but, you know, obviously with anything that comes with anything with high demand, somebody's trying to exploit that. You see it probably on the eBay. People trying to sell these tickets for thousands. Oh, absolutely. Thousands look at, of dollars. Look at the ghost inside. They released more tickets on Friday. Of course, I didn't, you know, I spoke about it. I didn't get a chance to because they were gone in Liggety Splick. And now people are selling the tickets for like three, four hundred bucks. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, go, the ghost inside was like, guys, fuck off. Yeah. Sell it at face value if you can't make it. Don't like, you know, yeah. don't buy off scalpers. Don't be a dick. Um, but yeah, so like you said, people on eBay selling them for like thousands of dollars. I'm like, well, first off, it's not that fucking serious. It can wait. It can wait a week. Yeah. It I, can even wait a because what? I'm assuming it drops on a Thursday night, right? Correct. As all movie releases do now. Mm-hmm. Thursday late night showing. You could really wait till that Monday, man, and go to a much quieter thing, you know? Well, I, I like I said, I know that it kind of took down the internet and everybody, like I said, it was a, kind of a bigger deal. Uh, just got, I got on, just need to exercise some patience. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, like I said, after about the 12 hour mark, AM, our AMC got the shit together and they were able to access their website pretty fucking easily. So it was more of a, um, people trying to access the website kind of a problem. Cause when I bought my tickets, there wasn't a whole lot of seats taken in my theater. You know, now I look back and now obviously... Right, I'm sure like the LA and New York theaters and I'm sure some of the city theaters in Chicago were the ones getting bombarded. Yeah. And that took down the whole server. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume. All those major markets, you know, it's kind of kind of crashing the site, which is fine. Yeah. Fair enough. But um, yeah, man, like I said, you know, you saw the internet and uh, AMC had a, had a good joke about it where it's like, well, man, Thanos must have got us in the whole finger snapping situation because yeah, uh, we went down. <laughs> yeah, this, this whole thing is, uh, is very rehearsed in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. But uh, I think... Because for me, at least, the movie, the real movie season starts next week. We get Hellboy, the week after that, La Llorona, and so on and so forth. And I think this is going to be a good year for movies. It's funny because I feel like the summer blockbuster has now become the spring blockbuster where all these things start to push earlier. Well, even then, fuck the spring blockbuster, right? Because... I'm excited for Hellboy. That doesn't mean everybody's excited for Hellboy. My wife wants to see it. I think the market now is that early to mid-game fall 
and then every other year it being December because we get a Harry Potter and we get a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And I think that that's the the end of the year market is kind of it's shifted to. It's know? funny because I feel like, uh, well, I think I don't really feel like it because it's kind of documented that Star Wars was one of the first kind of summer blockbusters that yeah, existed. Absolutely. The original Star Wars and then, of course, Jaws. And I'm sure that was a fucking hit. You know what I mean? Um, there's still something to be said about the summer blockbuster. I do kind of miss that feeling. I mean, it's not nearly as fun to go to a movie theater when it's fucking negative 20 degrees outside, you know? Uh, but I, I will say there is a there is something special about doing that. You think so? I absolutely think so. I like. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the summer blockbuster. But going into the theater when it's shitty out and, you know, like late at night, pitch black and just watching Star Wars. Granted, we have our reservations about the new movie, but I think there's something equally as special yeah. as with the summer blockbuster you know yeah. i just kind of like being all bundled up and watching lightsabers be swung around if that yep. makes sense absolutely so speaking of uh star wars uh just want to cover this quickly uh basically i guess what is being coming out of the jj abrams camp is that basically that this new film is going to kind of be like a retcon of the whole last jedi situation where they're kind of in damage control trying to fix some of the things they left open mm, uh so we'll see yeah, I guess we'll have to see well, about that. I know JJ and Ryan Johnson are like buddy buddy. Yeah, I so, don't think he's gonna completely scrap everything. Well, I'm saying like the stuff that was that needed to be fixed. You know what I mean? There, there's definitely things that needed to be addressed, and um, moving forward, I think it's important that we get that fixed. You know, so that's I what, I don't think you necessarily need a fix. I think it needs to make sense in the grand scheme of things. Because me and Amanda, we were discussing the alien films the other day, right? Mm -hmm. And when Prometheus came out, there was this whole like hullabaloo of like, dude, what the fuck is this? This isn't an alien movie. And then it's on this rotation where Covenant came out and the same thing happened. And then people were like, you know what? Prometheus was actually pretty good. Prometheus ain't that bad. And and I think that Maddie, Maddie said it perfectly. She said that the movies, uh, in this case, the aliens, the prequels have to make sense within their own boundaries and within the grand scheme of the prequels like you have to lead into how the aliens were made and we're kind of getting there you know covenant raised more questions than it answered but that's fine as long as the third one wraps it up yeah and i think you can apply the same rule to star wars yeah there was this crazy ass outrage you know luke's a, essentially a hermit little bitch right now and the whole i thought the whole force ghost thing was pretty cool but the way he cheesed out of it was not but if it makes sense in the way and the themes displayed through these next three movies if that makes sense, I think all will be forgiven. That's a good copy. That's a good copy. But yeah. if it was if it was J.J. Abrams, I'd even go as far to say that this was planned. This was like a very controversial thing that was planned, and yeah. then it'd be wrapped up. But it wasn't, so we don't know. Yeah. So yeah, man. Uh, we actually have another. Um, I don't want to call it controversial because I think it's pretty proper, but um, maybe controversial property at this point. Let's yeah. talk about the Joker. So yeah, this uh, this Joker trailer dropped um, has a very distinct vibe thing, a very important feel. So we spoke about. Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, we did. And we both like him. Yep. And I have some thoughts about this trailer. Okay. Here's my thing. The trailer was excellent. Mm -hmm. And you know me. I like to stay away from trailers. I like to keep my reservations. But here's my grand kind of scheme, my grand philosophy on this trailer. This trailer is proper and excellent because it doesn't throw the Joker in your face. This movie would have been... or I'm sorry. This trailer would have been great if it was like bozo or any other random clown it still looks really good it looks really interesting and it looks really captivating and i think this is the first time dc's done something like this where the don't get me wrong superheroes are an attraction 
but it shouldn't be what makes your movie good. What makes your movie good is writing, directing, acting, right? Correct. And the superhero thing should be a supplement. That is your setting. That yeah. is your universe. And I think they did this the right way because this looks, like I said, th this could not be titled Joker. This could be titled John Wayne Gacy and I'd still go see it. Yeah. And that's what really sold it for me because, you know, extradite the Joker thing and put any other clown in there. Yep. And I think it still looks like a great trailer. Absolutely. Now, I think what's important, there's a couple of things that are important when it comes to a Joker movie, Joker trailer uh, for like a Joker, a Joker standalone film. Um, one of the things that I feel like needs to be taken care of or pinned up, I, again, I have no frame of reference for this at all, but it's okay to make the guy who becomes Joker sympathetic. However, oh, yeah, we'll get to, back to that yeah. in a second. However, what is what I don't want is for you to make the Joker sympathetic because once he starts doing evil shit, you can't. There should be no relating to him anymore, right? Should be, if you're from a, a uh, like a, like a normal mindset. There well, should be no well, more. Well, here's here's okay. So the trailer shows uh, Joaquin Phoenix taking care of what we're assuming is his mom, right? Yeah. And so I think what is going to happen is that she's going to die at some yeah, point in the movie, gonna and snap. he's going to snap, yeah. right? But like that's something new we really haven't seen in a live action Batman or Joker film at this point mm -hmm. where you feel sympathy towards the, the clown. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a really interesting point. And I'm going to bring this back to Wolf of Wall Street. Jordan Belfort was a total piece of shit in that movie. Yeah. But yet you're rooting him on the whole time. Right. And I, man, I'm, I, I like, I want to agree with you. Like, I don't want to feel sympathetic towards the Joker, but there's this whole thing of separating the man from the mask now that we have to deal with because yeah. the trailer definitely made you feel kind of like, Oh man, this poor guy. Yeah. But then you're like, wait, this is also the Joker, you know? Yeah. And I think that's going to be a really interesting aspect to take. No, that's what I'm saying. Like the, the, you could feel bad for the guy who became the Joker, feel bad for him. But once the Joker becomes the Joker and starts doing dastardly shit and fucking people up and doing horrible things to all these people and to the whole city of Gotham, that's when the sympathy should stop. Because, should keyword yeah. should we'll see how the movie takes it i just don't want them to make him an anti-hero because he's not ever <laughs> i i think that what's going to happen i don't think they're going to go for the anti-hero aspect i don't know dude because they, they they showed footage with some of the footage they showed had people it dressed up as him and like cheering him on at the courthouse looking situation that's the thing like people holding up posters of his face on it and shit that makes me feel a little uh, nah, I, I don't think that's what it's going to be. I think he's going to start off with lesser crimes, not necessarily essentially blowing up Gotham, but I think he's going to like take out like political figures or corrupt things. And it's going to start off as we're trying to do the right thing. Like, Hey, my, my mom died because of you, but it's going to devolve into madness very quick. Uh, I we'll don't know. see. We'll see. I, I think my, my, my prediction for this is that you're going to feel bad for the Joker because you know, it was, Joaquin Phoenix or whatever the character's name is, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to translate over even though it shouldn't. Yeah. It's going to like bleed through the paper essentially. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's going to happen. Now, I think one of the most important lines from the trailer was he's like, oh, I always thought my life was a tragedy, but it turns out it's a comedy. I think that's kind of interesting. That's a very good quote. I yeah. also really enjoyed the laugh. I thought the laugh was fucking funny. Yeah, definitely. It was nice and eerie. Now, like, I don't know, man. Some of the, like some of his delivery is, is is very good. Like he makes you feel really uncomfortable with some of his delivery. Where he's like, when he's first like the trailer opens up, he's like, "Mom always said that I would bring smiles to all the world oh. and stuff like that." You're just like, <laughs> yeah, it sends chills Shutters. down your yeah, it chills down your spine. Uh, I'm just I'm afraid of the whole anti-hero tone. I don't think that's the tone they should go with it. Like I said, build it up to where you can understand him 
but that's where it ends. Because you're like, okay, now he's gone too far. We'll see, man. We've definitely had really good adaptations of the Joker, and we've had even worse adaptations of the Joker. Um, Jared Leto. <clears throat> my, yeah, well, bringing it back to that, this one three-minute trailer has more depth and is more fleshed out than the entire Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, man. Did you see some of the physical transformation that he, Joaquin put himself through? Like the super skinny fucking yep. rib cages? Mm-hmm. And- yep. Man's was fucking crazy. Yeah. But, uh, man, I wanted to touch on one more point, but I totally forgot now. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, this thing has definitely more personality than all of the Suicide Squad movie. Absolutely. And I guess we'll see where this movie goes. But oh yeah, the 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 thing, right? So I mentioned to you that because they're in the trailer, he's like putting a smile on some boy's face behind like these giant iron gates. I was like, what if that's Bruce Wayne? You're not the only person to say that. I saw that. I saw some write-ups about it that people thought. Imagine that. Imagine how fucking wild that'd be. Yeah. The implications there. Yeah. The implications. Yeah. So I thought it was a properly good trailer. Yeah, that's good. And I'm excited to see October 4th. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's coming along. Not, Not looking too bad either. All right. So I don't know if I should carry this over because I have a lot to say. No, man, let's rock and roll. I feel like I just did this like last year. I feel like I gave my review on this series. Did you? Yeah, I definitely did because we picked them up. I, I remember I picked them up for like five, six bucks, all the movies. But let, let's rock and roll because they're kind of still fresh in my mind. Absolutely. So the movie we're talking or the series we're talking about is the Mummy series with Brendan Fraser. Absolutely. And all right, I'm, I'm going to let you lead this because I have my kind of thoughts out there. All right. So um, I, me, me and Adriana were digging through this weekend. We started to watch them and... Um, well, let me just kind of preface this by saying I am a huge fan of these movies. Yeah. All right. Um, because as far as like early exposure, it's actually one of like the first DVDs I remember owning. Yeah. Same here. Actually. Um, I think Matrix was like the first one. I think Gladiator and The Mummy. Well, you had a good start. Yeah, definitely had a good start <laughs> with that collection. But um, watching it back and um, kind of what it did, I, I feel like these movies are severely underrated. Grossly underrated. Yeah. Like disgustingly underrated because... It's coming from an era where the movies like The Matrix exist, right? And like those big Oscar, you know, the gladiators of the world. All these movies kind of came out at the same time. And this movie doesn't take itself overly seriously, all right? Especially the first one. Uh, uh, I think it understands what it is. And what it is is kind of a reimagining of a horror icon, right? Uh, to kind of bring it up to speed and change kind of the tone a little bit. And make a fucking star out of Brendan Fraser. Now, I know he did stuff before... This movie came out. He did like school ties. I would say this would, is like his iconic, yeah, his, his masterpiece, his iconic role. He it is his Indiana Jones, and um, man, you really you really can see how he became kind of a star. Yeah, b- based on actor, this, right? Yeah, um, and Rachel Wise did a fucking great job as, as Evie. Evie. Yeah, oh, she's banging. And I, yeah, dude, especially I was telling Adriana, I'm like, she got like way better looking from the sec- to from the first one to the second one. I don't know what she did, why she looks so different, but she was looking good in two. But anyway, um, just some of like the casting choices that they made along the way. They had Jonathan, who was like kind of that comic relief, the Johnny Cage of the whole entire situation, right? Where you would kind of be like, well, what the fuck are we doing? And why is this happening? And this doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, kind of having that thing going. And they had kind of the sleazeball. Uh, merchant gel warrant warning yeah. guy, um, <laughs> kind of him having him kind of do some of the physical comedy aspects of it in the original. Um, it had kind of this wonderful story of like kind of a love gone wrong, and uh, and how Itmatep really at the end of the day was doing it for a girl. Like he wanted to, he killed his pharaoh for over a girl because he had no other choice, right? And kind of how the, his evil he, he was evil not because of 
evil's sake. Yeah, him he being was evil, evil because he wanted love. Yeah, he wanted love. Making him kind of sympathetic, especially in the, uh, by the end of the two, you're like, oh man, that sucks. Yeah, after, especially after you deal with his shit in one. <laughs> yeah. Um, how everything he kind of went through and made a great villain too, a fantastic villain, menacing, imposing. Yeah. He looked yeah. kind of like um, like uh, like Goldberg in his bald face. Good <laughs> stance, you know. He was just like he's not a big guy, but he was very imposing on screen. He had a yeah. massive stage presence. Yeah, visu- like visually, he's like, very imposing, and as the even. Oh, even more so when he wasn't the mummy, like when yeah, him absolutely. walking around, not really in the flesh, yeah. in the black cloak, like a very Voldemort-esque figure, huh? Yeah. Not really saying much of anything, but when he does, you're like, oh, like he had kind of that deepy, raspy kind of voice that sold his lines very well. Uh, and the kind of that smirk he made when he was, when they were all surrounded on the streets of Egypt. You know what uh, Imhotep could have gotten away with? The... Uh uh, the below the lip piercing like David Draymond has from Disturbed. I think you get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very imposing and a very good villain. Uh, good story. Uh, great set pieces. Some ter- tremendous, Phenomenal. tremendous set pieces. Great use of CGI before CGI kind of became more of a solid thing. The mummy looked good. The mummy looked real good. The rock looked like crap. <laughs> well, that, that's the second one. But yeah. uh, uh, So um, do you have a favorite between the two? Because I'm assuming. Ah, okay. So we're opposites on this one. Um, two is really proper. Yeah. I like it, and it does a lot of good things for the story and characters. But I feel like what a lot of the magic in one, because one, I feel like was essentially a satire on the whole Indiana Jones thing, absolutely mixed in with horror elements. You know, uh-huh. like they, I think they even poke fun at Indy throughout the film. Yeah, but it was just this very like, it, it, it's so strange to even say it out loud, but it's lighthearted, high stakes adventure. Absolutely, and it, it was. I would I would even argue to say that these movies were more easily accessible to our generation as opposed to the Indiana Jones, because mm-hmm. our gen's Indiana Jones was the Christ- Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls that was the worst one of the bunch. Yeah, and I, I think there's something to be said about kind of a reimagining, a refleshing of your typical uh, Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones, your adventure exploration movie yeah and what this movie did was beautiful really like you said you nailed it on the head uh brendan frazier went from like i i couldn't even tear him before this but this movie was the creme de la creme right yeah uh the cgi in one was great and two i I had some issues with the with the rock but that was limitations of the time yeah um let's let's well okay let's let's slide on to two okay sure so then we watched two two different in tone uh but I like where the characters went because you took kind of the attributes of O'Connell and Evie and kind of mixed them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. How Evie was a little bit more of a badass and O'Connell was a little bit more of the klutz. Yeah, what the klutz, the thinking like oh, this is like this is more than coincidence. Well, because they've been married now, you know, yeah. they kind of rub off on each other. I think Absolutely, it was a good dynamic. Uh, the boy was a little annoying, but he's kind of meant to be. <laughs> the, I mean, the whole thing happened because of his dumbass. Yeah, but whatever. Uh, so, but the rock. Let's talk about this. So The Rock, I think arguably, inarguably, one of the great biggest names in Hollywood today, right? You give a shitty script to The Rock and it's going to make good big box office It's going to bump that yeah. letter grade up one letter. Exactly. It's going to be big box office numbers because he draws probably more money to the, more people to the theater than anybody else these days, right? I think it's fair to say. Arguably, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is his first role. Right, first kind of bigger role, yeah. It's kind of funny to see this guy who we know becomes the one of the biggest movie stars today, and seeing him kind of in his infancy when it comes to acting, where he only had like two lines of dialogue and this short little, you know, what's it called, the intro video, which was extremely well done. Yeah, 
the um, uh, the whole story going on in the background of the Mummy Two was really phenomenal because it didn't feel like you know when you're watching a show and it's like flashback and that whole episode's a fucking flashback and you're like yeah. why I just binged this episode yeah it didn't feel forced it felt very natural and it kind of weaved into the story nicely yeah because you could tell the time had gone by because like you said Evie and Okano started to rub off on each other a little bit and they're like I said their oh and Evie's brother was fucking hilarious yeah, too yeah it was fucking funny um, but you know the only issue that I have with two is that kind of um, intentionally trying to get you to shed a tear is when Evie got stabbed by uh, an ox and a moon like you they try to force that yeah. whole, but knowing what goes on in the series with people constantly getting resurrected is like well, yeah it's kind of low stakes at that point yeah I think um, I, I enjoy both movies. I want to say that first, but I think what two was missing was that element of satire that the first one had. You think like it, you said, okay. it, it it was. Um, and I'll speak about Kingsman when when you get a chance to watch it because it was the same setup where one was kind of this satire and this like self aware parody of the spy movies, or in this case, the explorer movies and you know mummies as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. And then two almost kind of took itself a little too seriously in that mm-hmm. manner. And that was kind of my gripe with two man, but uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from. The whole Evie thing really unnecessary. Yeah, I totally forgot about the scene until you mentioned. She was dead for like what five minutes. Yeah, they brought her back. Brought her back. Uh, But what I will say is that um, I love the final final confrontation, final boss stage because it's such a video game looking area where it's kind of like covered in flames and there's a section that you can't cross. Because with the the, it looks like it's straight out of a scene from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, skeletons and the rift and. like I said, I think they try to do it to make it more of a personal confrontation between Rick and uh, Imhotep when they have the fist fight, which I think is awesome that they, the whole thing degenerated to a fucking fist fight. Um, but I don't know. I, I like the two more just because I like the more action-y, fun stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, I did miss some of the horror, the, some of the horror aspects that the original had because it the did They're creeping happen. around the corner and you hear the... Yeah, ex- absolutely. What two did really well, I will say, though, that horror element was... 110% the monkeys in the jungle yeah. and the scarabs that got under your skin. That yeah. was fucking terrifying yeah. as a kid. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> I remember, man, because like I said, this was probably one of my favorite, probably favorite sets of movies growing up because of just how how it makes you feel. makes you feel like you're on an adventure and I, I miss that because I don't feel like we don't get that enough with with movies these days, you think you think we're, we're wearing like rose colored glasses, the nostalgic glasses? I don't a know, because I, I I don't know because it, it could be that, but I know my parents think pretty highly of these movies too. When did you see this movie? When was the first when? time you saw it? Yeah, uh, how old were you? Shit, dude, like seven, when, eight when it came out. Yeah, because I, I think it. I was maybe five or six when I saw the first or second one, mm-hmm. just around there. And I think I think the movies still hold up pretty well, aside from you know the, the rock. Yeah, but that's fair. Those limitations of the time. Yeah. But as a whole, the stories make sense. The characters are good. They're well-developed. They're fleshed out. And it's kind of this self-enveloping story. It doesn't need countless amounts of sequels, even though it you know, got the Scorpion King, the prequel, this and that. The ah, those are more spinoffs. I yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it, it's it's nice because um, maybe you know I'm just clouded by the judgment of movies today where it's like, oh, it ends up on a cliffhanger. These movies didn't need that. No. It was... It was really nice, and uh, I actually showed them to my girlfriend for the first time last year. She's never seen the movies. She really enjoyed all of them. Yeah. Well, the, well, the first two, I should say. Yeah, because I, I I was gonna I was trying to consider whether we were gonna talk about the third one. I don't know if we should. No, definitely not. Yeah, because it's it, it loses all of its charm, and there's could, no more shine on it. Yeah. You drag it through the dirt and toss it in the dumpster. And I think that's just to show that it was uh, literally the something that was the sum was greater than its parts because these things needed to go together in order for those things to work out. I feel like there was a point in time where 
Egypt was so fascinating. Well, like when they first uncovered the first mummy in like what 1906 mm-hmm. or something like that. And people are just so captivated by this, you know, mm. like the first mummy in England, the, the first mummy in the United States, the curse of uh, Tutankhamun, right? Yeah. And I feel like reading about this is one thing because, you know, I'm sure most schools cover that now. It was like Egypt, blah, 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 the discoveries, shit, in the, shit like that, right? Everybody, every school has that Egypt section where you learn about that stuff. Yeah. And aside from, I don't know, these two movies and the Prince of Egypt, there's very few good Movies based around the Egyptian lore, culture, all that which, good stuff. Which, which is that, yeah. upsetting. It really is because there's weird? a lot of good quality stuff in there. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm missing probably like a handful of movies that I glossed over. But like really, the first two Mummy movies and The Prince of Egypt. Can you think of any other like well, the, standout? Well, the original Mummy movies were pretty good. But like even then, like it's kind of a Right. Reach. But like what would you rather watch now? The OG Mummy or this adaptation of The Mummy? You're right. Because this one, don't get me wrong. The original, there, there's something saucy about the title the original mummy right mm-hmm. but sometimes the adaptation comes out a little bit better and i think this is the case yeah absolutely and not to say that mummy isn't classic but this is indeed a classic absolutely movies with brendan fraser absolutely uh so yeah that's like that was that was kind of a, a yeah, good, good little recap a, on that. Uh, it's a it's a fun series it doesn't take itself too seriously if you watch the first two it is a beautiful combo of one and two it tells a good story uh, I like the whole kind nice of nice jabbing across, man. Yeah, That's what I, it is. I like the little backstory where um, you know Evie was kind of a reincarnated princess. That was kind yeah, of yeah, cool. that was clever, right? Yeah, it was it was cute. I like the uh, the train scene with the kid. How yeah, they captured him. I thought that whole sequence was great. I like the the whole thing where he, he was annoying the guard, and then you know the guard like takes his knife out and tries to stab him. He's like, "Wow, perfect game!" Gets him right between his fingers. He's <laughs> like, "What are you talking about? I missed." <laughs> yeah, so. I had fun watching these again. I have fun every time I watch them. So that's why I just wanted to give them a little bit of love. Very cool, man. I know we've talked about it previously, but it's just such a good franchise. It's um, You said it the best, man. It's grossly underrated. If yeah. you haven't seen them or if you haven't seen them in a while, go out and watch that shit, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's totally worth the trouble. All right, give this one to you. Okay, so I read an article the other day talking about how Netflix is kind of capitalizing on this whole serial killer thing. And uh, the article, essentially, I can't remember who it's by, forgive me, but the article went on to say that you shouldn't give people what they want if it's this sort of stuff whereas this kind of sort of bloody violent stuff because you're desensitizing them to it um i think the article makes a good point because i don't know maybe the the whole trend was you know lost in the back of my head but i do see it now they're capitalizing on a lot of dark bloody shit like the 10 bundy tapes uh evil genius you know making a murder that stuff mm-hmm. what's your kind of opinion on this i mean okay there's always going to be fascination about these things right now because there's books about this shit, man. You know what I mean? There's documentaries yeah, about them. Uh, if you really want to know about it, if that piques your interest, Netflix, it being on Netflix isn't going to change that. You know Here, what I mean? Here's my thing. And I, I texted you, I think it was last week, because we were talking about um, No Russian Mission, right? And I texted you because I totally remember out of the blue, it was totally optional. You didn't have to shoot any civilians. Yeah. And it was up to you. And that's kind of my point in this, where we're in an age where you can find information on pretty much 90% of whatever you want to learn, right? Mm-hmm. If this interests you, then why shouldn't you watch it? I think that at the end of the day, if you're a good person, you have a good heart, I don't think watching a Ted Bundy documentary is going to make you want to go out and kill someone. Yeah. I think if you already had that intent, you were going to do it anyway, regardless of this, right? But this is like the whole argument where like this violence in media caused you to do violent things. No, No. if you're a violent person, you're going to do violent shit one way or another. You know what I mean? I mean, here's the best example. You and I played Call of Duty, Mortal Kombat, all that shit that parents were worried about in the early days mm-hmm. and granted 
you and I have had our fair share of dirty street fights and brawls and this and that, right? But we grew up just fine. I'd say we're pretty laid back as opposed to what we were when we were 16, 17, right? Correct. We're pretty, we're pretty nonchalant now. But that's just kind of my whole gripe, man. Like, there's always going to be this argument of does media make kids violent? No. You know what makes kids violence? Violent is a whole bunch of other external factors. The way they were raised, parents, yeah. a household, a neighborhood, shit, any, any stuff... That's supplementary to that. You know what's you know what's funny about that thing that 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 thought process though, and because it's one hundred percent correct. These parents that are so quick to blame other things, never look at themselves. Never look at themselves. Why is it that the video games, the music, make your kid violent, but you're never you somehow always find a way to not be the reason for that? You know what I mean? I, I think it's like the self doubt thing, man. And and you know I don't want to turn this into how to parent your kids, but there's there's a lot of but, truth to that. But but it, it's. Because the thing is, is like, I'm a parent now. You know what I mean? So I, I think I'm like, man, dude, is the things that I say are the things that I watch, the things that I do. Is that does that have an lasting effect on my daughter? I'm sure it will. I mean, but the thing is, she's not like like I just said, she's not going to turn into, you know, a, a mummy after watching the mummy movies. Right. Mm -hmm. It's if they if kids have that separation between fantasy and real world like hey this is entertainment but there's real world consequences and implications as long as that line's there dude i think we're completely fine because like my, my parents i don't know how you how you, you know your parents you know described violence and things that happened in the news but my parents were always very open about the things that happened in the world i remember watching 9-11 with my dad and he would tell me like what was going on and what was happening and you know the the, the, the what's it called the the consequences of such things right and my dad was like, we're probably going to end up going to war over this and this type of shit. You know what I mean? And I, I'm a little weird. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm off. I'm not 100%. All my, some, some, some of my screws are loose. But I feel like, like you said, that we're fairly reasonable people, right? Yeah. And I've never once been compelled to want to kill somebody. I've been playing violent video games literally my whole entire life. My first video game that I played was Mortal Kombat 2, a violent video game. One of the reasons why the rating system exists. I've been listening to heavy <laughs> the he reason. <laughs> yeah, I've been talk. I've been listening to heavy, chaotic, violent music my whole entire life. I have never once gone out of my way to commit a violent act. Isn't it weird how a good chunk of like metalheads are really actually like down to earth and like yeah. calmed and but uh, that's a totally different topic. But yeah, man, I just think that there's this kind of where to point fingers, and I hate that mm -hmm. because. Uh, th there's a clear distinction that I made uh, when I was in high school and it was like, what separates like a man from a boy? And uh, I can't remember where I picked it up from, but it's like a boy will point and blame as to why he, why something didn't go the way he planned. And a man will stand up and say, I fucked up. Yeah. I did something wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something to take into account, but this whole article thing, I don't know, man, it just kind of peeved me off. It's, it's not so much the, the violence, the the parenting, this and that. I think if you want to go out and learn about something, fucking learn it, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, like, if curiosity, if if you want to look it up and it becomes more, you know, then that particular thing that you look up becomes more knowledgeable to you, and you understand why a person did something, or like you know the the causes and effects of violence and stuff like that. I think you're making yourself a better person because of it. Yeah. I the problem here is ignorance. Is yeah. that if you look at Ted Bundy as a as nothing but a murderer, I think that's in its own sense a valid stance, mm -hmm. but you need to understand that he was also a person and maybe his story 
is somewhat relevant. And maybe now that our, you know, uh, behavioral units are getting better and our understanding of like brainwaves and chemicals and neurons are getting much better. Maybe now we can recognize the signs early, or maybe you can avoid your kid from that early exposure to, you know, death and violence, animal abuse and shit like that. Cause you know, that's trauma, dude. That'll fuck you up. Yeah. If you see somebody die before your own eyes. Yeah. And you know, like now let's be proactive about this. Let's not like neglect the issue and point fingers at what is essentially documentaries and dramatizations of events that happen because yeah. you can't change the past. Yeah. That's done. So yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'll have to, you know, you've met my daughter. You've seen her interact. She's like an incredibly sweet little girl and I'm a dick. Sometimes my wife's an asshole. Sometimes uh, you are who you are. Right. And th- there are, like you said, contributing factors to how you were raised and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if I feel like if you, if your child starts to act out based on things that they see from the outside world, media, video games, you movies, should step in. It's, 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 it's a problem of you because if your child is that impressionable, then it's your fault. You did something wrong yeah. along the way. Like I said, you got to have that clear line between entertainment or fantasy really and real world. Because yeah. if you don't, you're going to have Don Quixote's, you're going to have Ted Bundy's, you're going to have all this weird, wacky, violent shit you see mm-hmm. in the news and on the media and all that stuff. Absolutely. And it's really unfortunate that we've kind of come to this. And I feel like now... All right, journalism is a talk for another time. I'm just going to one sentence this. I feel like journalism is now grasping at straws and any and every point that could be made, somebody is making it, even if it's totally invalid and controversial. Absolutely. And I felt that this article had some, maybe some heart behind it because it didn't feel like totally like, like, oh, I'm trying to piss you off. But it's neglecting the whole, how did we get to this point? Yeah. And I feel like that's a valid um, consideration to make. Absolutely. And wow, those are actually a pretty good chat. (laughs) Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. So obviously um, we've talked, we've covered this at length, but you know, Disney has acquired finally the deal is finalized with Fox, right? So uh, are you aware that Disney now owns Alien and Predator? Yeah. We spoke about this when the merger happened three weeks ago. Are you aware that? Disney Ripley now, is now a Rip, Ripley is now a Disney princess. Yes, we spoke about this. <laughs> now, but I'm saying, but are you also aware that Disney now owns 30 percent of Hulu? 30 percent? Yeah, I believe it. And it's funny because Adrian was talking about it, and she's like, "Well, because you know, I think a lot of people were very quick to blame uh, Netflix for uh, dropping Daredevil, The Punisher." No, Disney's coming out with its own. Well, because Disney put the kibosh on that. Essentially, is what they did. Disney's like. You ain't getting it. You're done. And Disney, I think, paid $150 million to get out of their Netflix deal early because they are coming out with their own streaming service. Yeah. And uh, so me and Maddie were talking about this yesterday. We mentioned it. Price is important, but then two content. Obviously, they're going to have the MCU movies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're going to have all their vaulted Disney movies. Yep. But what about those Disney Channel originals, like even Steven's Phil of the Future? I think that's a shoe in bro. Lizzie McGuire. I think that would kind of make it for me mm-hmm. because here's my thing. Any movie I love, I own on a physical copy. And most others, I can find it, stream it, right? Mm. But what's kind of harder to stream is shit like Lizzie McGuire, even Stevensville, The Future, mm. all the Wizards of Waverly Place, all those Disney Channel shows okay. is a bit harder to find. Yeah. And you, like those Disney Channel originally, original movies, movies like yep. uh, Johnny Tsunami yeah. and uh, Agent Cody Banks and all that like weird stuff out there, you yeah. know? 
Luck of the Irish. Remember Luck that of one? the Irish. I remember uh, that one. Miracle on Lane 2. Mm, yeah. Lots of good stuff out there that's been forgotten because now Disney is so massive. Yeah, cool. So I guess that what they're because they own 30% of Hulu, things that they don't feel fit the mold of their own service. I think what's I guess Adrian said it was called Disney Plus, which I think is whatever. Um, that they're going to put on Hulu if it doesn't fit, you know, the kind of their portfolio for the whole Disney brand, but it'll be under this new brand and doing its own thing because they own it. They own a large portion of a large, 30% is a very large portion to own of a company. You know what I mean? Well, of a company's content that yes. they're currently streaming. Absolutely. So, um, I think it's interesting moving forward, I guess, uh, seeing how Disney just continues to take over the world. Yeah, man. Um, if Disney and Amazon team up, we're truly screwed. And I have my reservations maybe because we grew up in resident evil. Cause I, I always joke and call umbrella Amazon part. umbrella. But it's when is this mouse going to stop growing? Is the question. At Never. what point are people going to step in and be like, "This is a monopoly," or getting pretty close? Uh, that's what I was telling Adriana. I'm like, with the whole because I, I I didn't even think about the whole Hulu acquisition of it all. But I'm like, how did this? How did that happen? Like, how did how did we we allow that to happen? How did Congress allow that to Money. happen? Well, even then though, we you know because it's going to become become a point where Mickey Mouse's glove is going to be in everybody's pot. You know what I mean? If it's not already. Yeah. So And uh yeah, man, it's just interesting to see what happens in the next 20, 30 years in our lifetime. And and you know, and you know Disney is salivating from the like the theme park perspective, is salivating and waiting for that Marvel deal to end with Universal Studios. They are waiting with beta because they're gonna blow TikTok, up TikTok, blow it up, make it a whole world of it. You have Iron Man hanging out and all that good stuff. Hey, maybe we'll get like a like a little alien shop or something, or, or you know, like a ride at Disney. I yeah, think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Um, you know, a little something for the for the older people. Yeah, I just I just think Ripley man. is still my favorite Disney princess. You say what you want. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's uh interesting times we're coming to because if you would have told me ten years ago or shit even five years ago that Disney is now like most of the market, I would have been like, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I think I, th- I think it was always within the realm of possibilities, but I just thought or thought we would get this far. You know what I mean? I yeah. never thought it would actually happen. Spooky dookie. Yep. And uh, I'm just glad to say that like the alien movies and the Deadpool's, they're going to keep their mature ratings. I'm, I'm glad Disney didn't decide to mouse that up, you know? Yeah, I got you. So Fair yeah. enough. What's up next? All right. So we're now we're in gaming. Let's talk about some gaming news. Uh, yeah. So I think this is the 11th straight we've, we've talked about Mortal Kombat. We've got two new characters this week, Collector and Centurion. Centrion, Centrion, right? Centrion. Um, talk to me about Centrion. So uh, I guess Game Informer got the leak, or you know they got the exclusive on her. Uh, basically, what she is uh, is she's an elder god. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil asked why she's guessed up. That's why, because <laughs> she's an elder god. She's supposed to be powerful as fuck. Seems to be a master of the elements, right? A little bit of Airbender thing going on with that, um, which basically confirms to me that we're not getting Fusion because I saw her throw wind, uh, but. So yeah, she's another guy, and her gameplay, at least based on what we saw, is very zoning friendly. She is going to be the character that you are not going to be able to get in on, and if you Nothing do, but keep away. Yeah, now and if you do, you gotta fucking make her feel it, because she's gonna kick your ass. Uh, design wise, she looks very injusticey, right? She looks kind of like like Poison Ivy did in Injustice, but um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the visuals of Injustice were one of its finer points, uh, and I guess we'll see moving forward. I was kind of shocked because I know every Mortal Kombat has its new characters, right? Unless it's nine, when in which case it didn't. Um, we got a decent chunk of new characters at this point. Yeah, it's, it's not too bad. I was a little I was a little shocked by that. I expected them like to maybe go maybe two or three, right? Yeah, I was expecting them to be leaning a little bit more on the older 
characters. But we've got what four confirmed and five as like a big question mark at the moment for char- new characters. Yeah, because we got Garrus, Garrus, Collector, Centrion. Uh, that's well, it. That's it. Oh, Scar- I guess Scarlet technically because she's not DLC in this one. Sure, Scarlet, and then the big baddie, Cronus. Uh, Cronica Chron- uh, um, might not be. Yeah. Well, playable. that's why I'm saying question mark. Yeah. So, um, I think it's interesting. Well, we got four last time. We got Aaron Black, Ferritor, Kotal Khan, Devora. And the Combat Kids. That was eight. Oh, and the Combat Kids. Eight. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So. Ooh. Yeah, man. So, uh, Netherrealm Studio taking some uh, some leaps. Yeah. I, and it's funny because I feel like uh, these two new characters that we got are like the total opposites of each other. Yeah. Where, like I said, where I feel Centrion is very DC. Keep away. Keep away. Yeah. That, not just that, but like she looks like an Injustice character. And then you have Collector. Which, who's is well overdue in that design. Yeah, which is a, really. who is probably the most Mortal Kombat looking character I've seen since Baraka. You know what I mean? He is is the, phenomenal. The the Mortal Kombat character, uh, and um, it looks cool, man. He looks real cool. He, he looks like he's gonna fit my style a little bit more. Uh, I like me and Phil had a little roasting session about you when it came to that whole thing. I, I don't. They said that uh, Collector looks like a character I'd play. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, because my when he said it, I'm like, yeah, because I could tell you imagine going Quah! like as <laughs> as as him. That's what came to my mind. But then we just we just rolled roll, roll with it, I guess. I don't know. But um, he kind of like uh, the jack of all trades as far as gameplay wise. He looks like he has a little bit of tools for a little bit of every engagement. He looks like he's gonna be a fun to play like a rushdown version of. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, very interesting gameplay elements involved in all of that. More levels have been revealed. They have that boat-looking level, which looks absolutely fucking phenomenal. Great. Uh, they have done great jobs with our team. Has fucking really, really knocked it out of the park with this fucking absolutely. game. With that, uh, we got some Aaron Black footage. I don't know if you've seen that yet. Uh, he looks like Aaron Black. Uh, That's good. You know I like yeah. him. Yeah, he, he looks like Aaron Black. He has some interesting-looking mechanics. Uh, a little bit of my noob. We got... Um, it was a very productive week as far as the Mortal Kombat. So Combat we got a week left? Yeah, a couple days. A week or two left, I think. Um, it's the twelfth, no? I don't know if it's that soon. Hold on, let me look. Four twelve or four nineteen? I think it might be the nineteenth, but let me look. Yeah, um, I I really like the uh, the design that they took with uh, Collector. Like you said, he is twenty third. Twenty third. Yep. Okay, so two weeks, couple more weeks. He, yep. he is like the Mortal Kombat character. Yeah. Um, since I would even say since like Scorpion Sub Zero, like those are the Mortal Kombat. You know, OG yeah. characters, but like this is the new generation of MK. Yeah. And I'm, it's almost kind of sad that it took this long. The He looks to me like your typical RPG, like merchant guy. Yeah. Like you go to him and buy stuff because he has all these arms and he's the collector and, you know, his fatality, he collects your head, puts it in his backpack. Well, that's like this whole gimmick because I guess the, the the lore behind it is that he's somebody who was around. He's a he's a old character. He's been in the background. Uh, so like the collector from Marvel that's just been kind of lurking around. Yeah. Uh, he's He's been around since the beginning. Uh, basically, he was like an OG uh, Shao Kahn regime guy and Shao Kahn liked him because he was very um, his he's from a uh, what's it called a race of people where their name is their occupation so oh, he's, cool. he's he's like a tax collector he's a collector so he collects items and relics and magic and all this stuff that he comes hey, across maybe this will be the first time you get to beat the living shit out of a tax collector in a video game <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that's kind of the whole lore behind it because uh, I guess it makes sense Shao Kahn's role is not Shao Kahn that we know, you know, from the... Right, know, we only have past version Shao Kahn, not yeah, a present. Yeah, uh, because he's like, the, he's conquering at this point. He's still moving from realm to realm at this point. 
where he's like he hasn't conquered everything in front of him. He's like moving. He's not from, truly the Khan. Yeah, he's not Shao Khan yet, which is kind of explains his design, which I think is interesting. Um, so I think that's kind of his whole lore based on it. And I think it's interesting moving forward. Uh, I have mixed feelings about like, oh, they were there the whole time, like with the whole Blaze thing and Armageddon. Oh, he was in the background. See, that was that was a cop out for a new boss though. But I think this collector thing kind of makes sense. Yeah, it, it's definitely a little bit more fleshed out than Blaze was. Absolutely, because and we we kind of spoke about it. I don't think Armageddon. Was and they claim they wanted to end Mortal Kombat there. I just think they used Armageddon as an excuse to get rid of all the trash. No, I, th- I think you honestly do. I've never considered it like that before, but when you said it, I'm like, because that's think, it. What, what would be better than everybody dies and who, who is it? Blaze and Tagon left, mm-hmm. right? And then it's reset, yeah. fresh time for a fresh new start. And you know, I I want to believe the whole they wanted to end it there because they had a good run. But come on, Mortal Kombat is the main moneymaker for NetherRealm Studios, and especially back then, that was the that was, that was midway cash cow. Yeah, that yeah. was midway. Yep. And so that's just kind of my approach to it. Where Armageddon may not have been the best game, uh, but it did have some cool things that it brought to the table, and you could play as everyone, which is, you know, on paper a cool aspect. But it was garbage collection at the end of the day. Yeah, it was your garbage man coming around, and you're just putting all those bags in front of your lawn right now. Yeah, that's all it was to me. Yeah, because like we haven't. I'll, like let's think about it. like as far as the 3D era of games, who do we have that's been in the game proper? Like Kenshi and Kenshi, that? um, oh, that's still around right now. Yeah, because I have a couple of a uh, couple of people I liked. But I'm saying as far as them being around, uh, like Kenshi made it. Baraicho had a little cameo. Tanya had a little cameo. But who's yeah, man? That's a uh, who's really there from that era of game? I guess like, you could say the fleshed out version of Scarlet because. Prior, she was only a costume palette swap. Yeah, but there's that. And I don't know, man, because like I said, that like you said, the whole trash can thing was uh, like the Noob ultimate. Noob Saibot? Noob Saibot was from uh, from 3. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Fuck. So was technically Scarlet. She was technically from 3, too, as but, this palette swap. Yeah, man, but um, there's there's some gems I'd like to pick out of the trash. Who? Uh, off the top of my head, I think Chameleon can make a comeback. I think Chameleon would be a She cool was from character. 3. Or he and she were from three, so that's not three D era. That's still uh, not 3D era. I know you don't like him, but I, I I think Movado's design is cool, and I think we need a new Red oh, Dragon. Red Dragon. Yeah, I think he would fit the story. You wouldn't necessarily have to make him like super playable. Okay, and yeah. I think I think he has some cool mechanics like the hook swords for one, and the like the where he shoots out his arms. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous, but I think it's cool. You know who he needs to bring back, bro? Who? Mocap. All right, let's move on. Uh, so yeah, that's our Mortal Kombat talk for the week. Uh, my bad. Cool. I, I, so, um, you sent me this article. I did that. I had partially read. Me too. And uh, <laughs> so this whole Bioware Anthem thing. Yep. So I think it's fair to say the game flopped, and there's been a bunch of big gaming studio games that have flopped so far this year. Fallout 76, Anthem, blah blah. Um. So you know the situation better than I do. Talk to me about it. So basically, this uh, guy, this writer, uh, did a kind of a write up on the whole thing, on the whole situation, basically on what went wrong. All right. Um. Basically, the gist of it, and I don't mean to uh, summarize it too hard, but basically the situation was is that this was a game that was in production for seven years, right? And basically, the first six years with them just dicking around, throwing, going back and forth with ideas, not committing to any direction at all, ever. And um, by the time, by the time, because EA caught a lot of flack for this whole thing, right? You know, but by the time, you know, the, the time was up, and EA's like, we need a game. We've invested a lot of money into this project, and you guys have nothing. We need a game. So you got better figure it out. Basically, at that point, they had about a year and a half level of development. Uh, from what the article said, 
The people at Bioware didn't even know what the game was when that trailer at E3 dropped a couple years ago, 2017. They're like, that's the game, and that's what we got to finish. That's what we got to work on. Um, because there was such lack of direction, lack of leadership on Bioware's part, and that they couldn't agree on two things at a time. I think you, you said it plain and clear. If, if you've ever been in like a managerial position or a position of maybe a little bit more power at work, you know that if people are fucking around, they either A, uh, are like that, which most of the cases in the time, or B, they have no sense of direction or urgency or what to do at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that, it pains me to say it, but I think that's what happened to Bioware, yeah. where they had a little bit too much freedom on the leash. Yeah. And there was nothing to reel them back. There was no, maybe there was goals for like movement or like big picture stuff, but nothing like clean and precise that you should be working towards and no defined like time goals. And I can't vouch for that because I wasn't there, but it, that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. When you have, and shit, man, let's use UPS for an example. If people don't know what to be doing, you're going to go from clean to very unclean like that in a fucking heartbeat. Yeah. Because one thing goes wrong, you're not prepared for it, boom, you're donezo. Yeah. You're not, you're not getting out of there before 11 o'clock. Yeah. And it's this is exactly what it sounds like, that the meltdown here was maybe they said, do, do a passion project or maybe do something that you guys would like to do or something that you would like to develop. And there was too much going on at once and yeah. not enough clear defined yeah. goals, timelines and shit like well, that. Well, from what I understand that there's they had interviews from people from the inside and then they would have meetings about Anthem because Anthem was supposed to be the next big thing is supposed to be la 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 la, right? Supposed to be the next big project. And they would have meetings and they would just bat stuff back and forth and nothing would get decided. For months on end they would do this. So that nothing would ever decide. It would ever get decided. And another thing that I thought was interesting about the article and what was explained is that they were not allowed to talk about other projects outside of the Bioware umbrella as far as comparison. So like Destiny, you weren't allowed to talk about Destiny at, Bi at these Bioware meetings. When in actuality, this game, was, which is very comparable to Destiny and a lot of the mechanics and a lot of the visual aspects of it all, they weren't allowed to take what Destiny did and learn from it. They're it's one thing to take elements and copy and paste them, but it's a whole other thing to take something you enjoyed out of a game and not implement it like super directly but improve upon it and make it your own yeah and make that feature part of the game's identity as yeah. opposed to hey this was copy and paste because we like it yeah you know and the sad thing is is like i said if they were actually allowed to talk about destiny and learn what destiny did and kind of take that and maybe have a direction then maybe the game would have been better um, but because they weren't allowed to compare it, they weren't allowed to look at it, they weren't allowed to talk about it, they were just kind of aimlessly wandering, right? Um, now, what I will say, on the people who designed the game, who created the game, physically created it, not the leadership, by the way, to do what they did in a year and a half impressive. is extremely impressive. It what, is a feat of a 90-hour work week every week for six months straight. Absolutely. And um, they should get all the credit in the world for get, being able to put something on the table that wasn't complete crap. That wasn't fucking bugged out and complete crap. They, right? they, they cranked out a working game yeah. that looked good and for the most part felt good. Yeah. It was just lacking serious content. So yeah, it was a big void as far as content goes. And like I said, I mentioned it about the whole e E3 trailer. These guys at Bioware did not even know it was a looter shooter until this trailer dropped. They didn't know the game that they were working on for all this time. Seven years of, of development. And they didn't learn shit about what the game was, where it was going, what's the grand scheme, story, what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? Like, nobody knew anything. And it's just, it's sad because Bioware used to be 
the studio. One of the biggest studios on the planet. Baldur's Gate, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. You name it. They, yeah. They did Mass it. Mass Effect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sad to see uh, the lack of leadership from Bioware itself. The fall from grace, really. Yeah. And I guess I, I'm not going to point fingers at the people who, who tried their damnedest to create these yeah, games. Don't blame your programmers, your coders, yeah. your artists. It wasn't Blame them. the people above them. Yeah. Because clearly there was no leadership, no sense of direction. And that... I had a teacher that always said the mother of all fuck-ups is the lack of preparation. Yeah. And I think that is very applicable. And it's, it's so funny because there was a story about it where the head of EA came down to Bioware to play kind of a, like a test run of the game. He was like, this sucks, right? And like they have gone back and forth whether the game was going to include flying or not, right? So they, they designed the game not to have, They decided that they weren't going to have flying, right? They weren't going to do it. And then the head of EA games like, what happened to the flying? So everybody who worked on those levels that were meant to be played a certain way had to redo all their work just so it can incorporate this element that the guy above said that he wanted done. So people were saying like, we would work on stuff for months, months on end. And then it would get to the next meeting and then they would just toss it months and months of work. A waste of time. Yeah. Just a fucking waste of time of talented people. Again, who put this game together and made it functional. Just a tremendous waste of time and a big flop. And EA knew that they had trash and I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to make this another EA bashing session, but they knew they had trash and they let that shit fly. And that's not cool, man. This is uh, tying back to one of our very old arguments where why don't you have people who are passionate and have a creative vision, maybe not take control of all the reins, but step in Mm -hmm. because I promise you there's somebody out there that had a much better idea than Anthem, that had a moneymaker of a game, that had ideas and concepts and stuff. And this person is just, you know, a, a civilian at the end of the day. Yeah. And, well, another another thing. Well, there was a, a particular individual, and I wish I remembered his name because I gave him a shout out. Because apparently near like the last, the near the, when the deadline was looming, EA put somebody in charge and Bioware put somebody in charge who really put the fucking get down. Yeah, put, put the fucking work in. And to try to make the game as functional as possible. So props to that guy. But another thing that was just so disgusting on kind of the practices that they were using, these people at Bioware who were working on this game would get pulled off Anthem to work on FIFA and Madden and all these properties that they know is going to make them money when they know that the property that they're currently working on was not prepared and not ready for that level of abandonment or that particular track was not ready for that to be abandoned or moved on from. They knew it, but they, you know what? They're going to look at FIFA as the moneymaker. They're going to keep dumping shit into Madden because they know no matter what, every year they're always going to buy that shit and they're going to eat it up and they're going to put a million dollars into my ultimate team and all that stupid bullshit. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. There's just a lot. It was just a failure from the top or from basically from the top. Cause like I said, these people bust their ass and try to put a functioning game out there, and um, it's, it's sad. Just, it's sad. Yeah, it really is. Coming from Bioware, yeah, truly a fall from grace. And uh, neither was Spot Anthem. And shit, dude, I'd be surprised if that game tried to have a turnaround. It's not gonna make it out of the year, dude. It's gonna because, be fucking dust. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, I spoke to you lightly about how Battlefront Two, um, the devs are like regaining control over it, and there's like no more loop. All the loot boxes are purely cosmetic now. None of it has to do with game-breaking stuff. And that game's kind of made a turnaround, but it's a little too late. Yeah. And it's that aspect. It's very hard to bounce back from bad press like that. Absolutely. It's super hard. that was arguably the hardest flop in 
a very long time, video game wise. Not anymore. With Anthem is probably the biggest one because it was yeah. a triple A title that everybody was looking forward to. I had a lot of buddies that I'm like, I don't know, it just, it just doesn't fit my vibe. It had a very Destiny feel look, look to me, which mm-hmm. is why I strayed away from it. And it turns out, man, it's it's kind of in the same ballpark. Where at least Destiny was a game that was done, but they had content ripped out to sell it later to you. This was a situation of, or Destiny was a situation of just bad practices. This was a, a demonstration of what not to do and lack of leadership and lack of fucking know-how on how to do the job. And that's very just sad. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it, well, not very cool, but... Yeah. Oh, you know Battlefront 2 has an Ewok hunt mode where you Sweet. play it on Endor and one team is these little Ewoks and the other team is Stormtroopers. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and the Ewoks have traps set up all over the place. And <laughs> it's terrifying and scary at the same time. <laughs> anyway, what is our next talking point here? Borderlands. Uh, did you hear about this? Yes, I did. Um... So Borderlands maybe, 3 Borderlands yeah. 3 is going to be a epic exclusive for 6 months. Um I have some gripes. I thought Borderlands and Valve Steam had a very good relationship. I truly did. Um I get the move. I, it's not Epic I, okay, gives okay. them more money. Yeah, that's that. And that that's important cuz you yeah. got to feed your developers, you got to feed the company. And Gearbox is not the same studio it was when Borderlands 1 came out Absolutely. 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that concerns me. Epic is not a consumer-friendly store. There's mm-hmm. no cloud saving. Returns are a pain in the ass to get. There's not as much features. There's no, like, friend chat. There's It's seriously lacking as a platform is the big deal here, yeah. right? And Steam is the best gaming platform on PC, period. The standard, yeah. It is the gold standard. Yep. And Epic is a disgusting knockoff of that is it, it worse than origin origin is much better than epic wow really i i i think the origin launcher is quite nice it has decent features but it's not quite as there as steam is but epic is kind of gross man and i uh, you gotta look at both sides of this argument because as a developer if you're gonna sell millions of copies of this game that's a lot of change you know that's a lot of guap because I think Epic gives 12% and Steam gives like shit, like under 10%, like way under 10%, like seven. Yeah, I think that's about right. And that's yeah. a that's a big chunk of change if mm-hmm. you're planning to sell like 2 million copies. Yeah. You know? And I understand the decision. That doesn't mean I like it. Yeah. But I think the big thing here to, to, to know and understand is that it's not Epic exclusive, period. It's just launching on Epic first. Yep. And my philosophy for a lot of these games is is wait and see, wait and see, because something is going to look promising and it's going to entice you to buy it and you're going to want to get it, but it may not be that. And I don't think that's the case with Borderlands, but if you're on this epic boycott, just wait the six months, man. Borderlands ain't going to go anywhere. This is true. And that's the thing. Borderlands has a community that's going to maintain that game forever. I, I just, I'm still playing Borderlands 1. Me and my brother are doing another playthrough in preparations for 3. Yep. Borderlands has a fucking strong following, and I think if people band together and they say... We can wait. I think Gearbox will get the picture. Yeah, and they got their money anyway, so what do they care, right? Well, if it doesn't sell as well, yeah, then that's also a thing, right? Well, so the the deal, so what, so the deal with Steam is that it's less developer friendly, right? It's more user friendly, right? That's like the it thing. is the best user friendly thing ever, period. But they just the, the developers don't get a big of a chunk. Epic, the Epic Game Store has this broken ass system, right? Where the developer the developer can opt in for ratings and comments. You do not have to have ratings and comments. So if you know your game is garbage, you You're just click, disable click disable. That. But mm-hmm. if you know your game's good, you hit enable ratings and comments. Wow. That's hot trash. You yeah. could literally opt in and out of that. Yeah. Let that sink in. 
That's yeah, that's 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 gross. <laughs> and, and Steam reviews are, for the most part, honest. You know, you could tell what kind of community this game has. Based it'll on it'll yeah. tell you right there. Yep. It'll tell you recent reviews and overall reviews. And that's kind of important to have. Interesting, man. Yeah, so I want to get it, but we'll see. Yep. We will have to see, and it's kind of unfortunate. All right, Gabe, did you get anything for this game this week? Yes. Okay, so I was kind of browsing around for this, right? And uh, so as a rehash, these are quotes from movies that would make good song titles. And I found something... Uh, kind of, sort of. So it's Godfather quotes, but a nice chunk of these are actually from the book. And so, <laughs> obviously, the first one is I'll make him an offer you can't refuse. I think that one is uh, yeah self-explanatory. Absolutely. Great men are not born great. They grow great. It's a bit of a, a mouthful, but Bring Me With Horizon has, you know, I read about girls like you on the back of bathroom stalls. Or no need for introductions. I read about girls like you on the back of bathroom stalls. Uh, never hate your enemies. It affects your judgment. That's uh, pretty interesting. That's I, a great. That, that'd be a good like Kublai Khan song. Yeah. Uh, Revenge is a dish that tastes best when served cold. A little bit of a stretch. Uh, a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Yeah. Uh, I like this one. This one's probably my favorite of the bunch. The lawyer with a briefcase can steal more money than a man with a gun. Facts. That's he, going. I yeah, like that. that, that's a really good one. Uh, God damn. Godfather, man, had such good lines. Yeah. Fuck. Accidents don't happen to people who take accidents as a personal insult. Yeah. And uh, those were kind of the, the majority of the ones. You know, there's some paragraphs of quotes from Godfather. Yeah. But I thought those were the kind of nice standout ones. And part of me could probably give you a Tarantino quote album. I, I thought this Godfather one had some pretty strong ones, though. Absolutely. So, yeah, man. Uh, that was kind of a fun game. We should bring it back around. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what we can do with it. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to music. You do this. You do this. This is your thing. Music news and reviews. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> All right. So you did the Whitechapel review. Belly. Yeah, I did. So um, dug into it. And I told you last week when I reviewed uh, I Prevail that I'm like, it was either this one or that one. And you decided to do both. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, like I said, I know which one I was going to get to first because I like you, I told you last week that I kind of knew what I was getting. Right now. Yeah, you know what you're getting. <laughs> you know, uh, they do have elements that they've introduced recently. You know, I think they've had cleans in the last album as well. But at the end of the day, bro, I mean, I wish I had more to say about it. I tried, but it's it's a White Chapel album, bro. Like, you know, like I think we're we're almost underappreciating the face value of that because yeah, it's what you expect. That's also the good side of the album. It is a White Chapel album. Yeah, and. You know, maybe you and I like innovation and progression a little bit more. Maybe we don't because Bring Me the Horizon. But there's people out there that would throw a fucking riot if Whitechapel did like a, like a, you know? Yeah. And yeah, there's not much to be said, but I think it says for itself the valley that it's another Whitechapel album. And if you enjoy that, then you should definitely go check Uh, it out. Tim said to Adam one time, because Tim was talking about um, Tim Strezzo. He was talking about Rise Against, and Adam's like, well, what does it sound like? And Tim's like, sounds like Rise Against. <laughs> you know they what I mean? formula, they stick yeah, to it. Yeah, it sounds like a Rise Against album. So, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, like, it's not bad. It's, it's all right. It's definitely not going to make any of my lists or none of that. It's just another album that maybe I'll come on, and maybe I'll like a couple songs. But at the end of the day, you know, ultimately, it's a skip for me. Um, I'm not going to give it a rating because I don't have strong enough opinions going out the way about it. That's absolutely fair. Yep. 
So that is absolutely fair. Uh, so our buddies in Knocked Loose dropped a single this week. They did. Called Mistakes Like Fractures. First of all, I think that song title is excellent. That's A good. plus on that. That's good. Did you listen to it? I did. What'd you think? Um, they're not rewriting, you know, re- not rewriting the book or not, you know, changing the the wheel or better. Mo- Basically, it's a better mousetrap. So those those are my uh, metaphors of the day. Um, it sounds like a like a good not loose song that's going to get you amped and get the show going. And now uh, you and I talked about the, the I killed the prom queen sound. This they have a very dis- distinct guitar sound as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I like it and those pedals. And here's my thing: I I really like this single. And my only kind of gripe with it is that like lull point where they wait. But if you're knocked loose, you're going to need that because they yeah. kill themselves on stage every day. Yeah. Um, it's knocked loose, but it's not laugh tracks. And I think that's an important distinguisher to make here because mm-hmm. it would be very easy for them to rewrite laugh tracks. So for me, you know, you know what? Like I, there's some bands that you have to listen to the album to get the full effect. And Knock Loose is one of those bands to me. You they're, think so? They're not like a strong single band, but they're a band that you listen to one whole album, you're like, that was awesome. You don't like Dead Ringer as a single? It's it's a good single. Or Oblivion's Peaks? You know, they're, they're good, but like I said, outside of them, they're not going to... I think uh, you're underselling Knock Loose here. No, I, no, they're, the, the, the singles are good, but like I said, they're not going to blow you away like th- there's singles out that exist for other bands that just like blow you out of the fucking water have you ever seen a knock loose pit when dead ringer comes on yes i have <laughs> i have but i'm saying like uh you have to listen to the album to get the full effect for them i think um because it's, the way songs blend together isn't like important to them how like even how they the, transition yeah how they transition and even in their set they they emphasize that you know what i mean um you know, maybe it's a hardcore thing because I think a lot of hardcore albums are like that. You know what I mean? Where it I think, depends on the artist. Yeah, but um, you could say the same thing about Pink Floyd or Bring Me the Horizon. Yeah, you know. But I don't know. Uh, no, because even then, Bring Me the Horizon had singles that transcend that their fucking albums. Like what? Uh, it never ends. <laughs> you think that one single is better than the whole album as a whole? I'm saying that it's a proper representation of who they were in that particular album. It doesn't transcend the album, but it's a proper representation of the album as a whole. Okay. Then that's why I think that's where Knock Loose doesn't have that kind of level. Maybe they don't have the the stock yet to kind of have that. But I like it. It's a definitely a good song. But we'll have to see what they what else they turn out in, in the context of the whole album for me. Uh, but it's definitely a good a good song. It's fun. I it's, quite like it. They sold out all the uh, they pressed the single on a seven inch final. Mm-hmm. They sold that out, and you know, like Garrett from Silent Final was like, oh, you know, congrats, guys, and. Bobby Lynch, ex Fit for a King, was like, "Oh my God, I'm so proud of you." Yeah, it's nice to see that Knocked Loose is pals. You, I, I love seeing bands being friendly with each other. Yeah, yeah, that's nice to see in the scene. Absolutely. So uh, it's it's a definitely it's definitely good. And I think they I'm would. excited to see this one live. Yeah, I I really like this single. I think it's, it's nice. It's going to be real dirty. Um, lot lots of good lines in there, and I think the I think the guitar work is arguably heavier in this in this instantiation. It's definitely more in your face. Yep. And man, you said it. They got that like signature sound yep. with what two albums and an EP. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. And I'm excited. We'll see what these guys come out with. But honestly, Brian Garris is our age, give or take, and he's cranking out music like this. And his two other brothers are too. And you know, legend says that if you get all three Garrises and the same mosh pit, like the world will collide with the moon or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, should be fun, man. I'm Absolutely. excited. I'm after hearing the single. Oh, I got a good feeling about this album, and I don't want to say anything preemptive about my album of the year list, but I'm sure this will make the cut. At least the initial cut, let's say that. Cool. 
Cool. Let's talk about Dayseeker. So another band that, that I I have invested in interest in Dayseeker. I know you like them, but yeah, for good. me, uh, I really I there's something about them that I find really sexy so, and attractive. Sexy, yeah, relatable. Um, to kind of how I grew uh, like the style, my style, the style that the Jacob style, right? Your flavor of metalcore. Absolutely. Um, so they came out with a new single. It's called Crooked Soul. Um, first off, I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen this uh, single cover by chance? Let me see. If I, I have can. not yet. No. Let me see. It's nice and pretty. It, it's it's very beautiful. Wow, I like that. I like the uh, I like the vaporwave aesthetic that like yeah. purple and blue. I'm a sucker it's, for that. It's very beautiful. I tell you, John, like I hanged it up on my wall. But um, so I listened to the single. Um, they have some architects. They they sound more architects than they did before. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with that being said. We talked about last week about I Prevail and how their vocals are very robotic and soulless. Right. They transition from the drummer being the robot to the clean vocals being Exa- the robot. Exactly. Absolutely. Dayseeker does not have their problem. This guy has a fucking soul. And you... Oh, f- yeah. We saw that at Warp Tour. You fucking feel it. And um, there's not a whole lot... They have screams. They have like a breakdown S section in the song. But mainly it's him just fucking belting out his fucking heart. And you can feel it. You can hear it in his voice. The raspiness. It feels very organic and very good. You said that you were kind of on the, kind of sitting on the sideline, sitting on the bench, waiting to see where Nightwish will fall on your album of the year. And it's kind of the inverse here because I am looking to see if Dayseeker can potentially knock something out of the park this year with their upcoming release. I'm looking forward to these guys. I have a very close eye on what they're doing, and uh, I'm, I'm amped about it. If- I'm jazzed about it. If my 2019 album waitlist is correct and they're on schedule for this year, I think everything will fall into place and the yeah. stars will align. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, which is kind of an upside because I do have a review coming up. and I didn't put it on here, but I do have a review coming up next after you finish your next topic. Cool. But um, I'm excited to see what Dayseeker does because, you know, I don't know what it is, dude. You you probably know better than I because you're an outside you're a bystander you're a guy on the outside looking in about how I relate to this band I don't know what it is it's an intangible thing to me right now there's this theory I have right where everybody has their own favorite pizza place mm-hmm. and it's usually something that was relatively close and accessible and it was something that hits your funnies right like we had Triano's I brought it over to your place once and you didn't love it yeah it was right? okay yeah it was okay me Maddie and a lot of my close friends we love that shit there's something special about that pizza. And I think it's this mentality that everybody has something they're looking for, whether it be in music, pizza, movies, whatever it may be, right? There's always that something you're on the lookout for. There's always something that really tickles your funny bone like that. And I think Dayseeker hits most, if not all, your checkboxes for your metalcore. Because you say you don't like cleans in a metalcore song. You say you don't like <laughs> this and that. You take the pretty out of metalcore, you know? And like Devil Wears Prada, like Death Throne was the best. It's shit like that. But it's really not that. It's the way it's wrapped and packaged and presented. Because I think... Yeah, maybe that dirty, grimy, deep shit is more accessible, but it takes a lot more sanding, polishing, and top coating. <laughs> I like how you put <laughs> Seriously, it takes it takes a lot of work to make metalcore pretty and to make it properly pretty. Yeah. Because we we can name a dozen bands right now that inject, that artificially inject cleans because that is a metalcore standard. Wage war. But you know what I'm saying? It's no. it's it, it's like almost this checkbox you have to hit now. When it's really not, metalcore is very malleable in its substance and its genre. Gabe's favorite word of all time is malleable. You say it at least once per podcast. <laughs> actually, actually, there's a couple other words I put over that. But oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's what it is, man. It's just you know what I mean. Like you can 
I'm going to go back to this woodworking thing because I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You could sand something once or twice, put a top coat on it, and say you're done. Or you could take the time. You could sand with every grit going up to the, like the 2,000 grit and make it fucking beautiful. Put that gloss on it. Put that gloss top coat, uh-huh. and then you're done. And there's a noticeable difference between quality. And Facts. I think that's what it is. That's where Dayseeker's at right now, dude. Because I don't think you dislike clean vocals. I just think you like you dislike the artificialness of it. It, it has to... This disingenuity. It has to be organic. You have to feel it. It has to make sense in the context of the song. Like it, the yellow wallpaper, right? Yeah. It has to make sense in the context. You cannot tell... You cannot put it in here because you're like, okay, this is where our chorus goes. That's not how it works, dude. You need to feel organic to the song. If the song calls for a clean chorus... That's where it should be. It should not be, okay, well, this is where we do it. This is where we put our part. This is where we put the cleans. This is where we lock. If you need an example of what we're talking about, look at the entirety of their only chasing safety. Yeah. I'd say it's 60-40 clean to scream. Yeah. But the cleans feel like they were always there. They weren't an afterthought. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's why it's a good album. Yeah. Oh, well, that and many other aspects. Yeah. But that's kind of what we're getting at here. Absolutely. And that's what it is. Because like even with um, like Wage War is probably the prime example of this, where it's like... Yes, it's good, and but we need to have our clean vocalist. We need to have our cleans in it because our clean vocalist. <laughs> hey, we're paying him to do something. Uh, well, that is like, well, he's a talented guy, so we need to make sure he gets highlighted. Like, and there needs to be a long, a line drawn, a distinction, and uh, Dayseeker found that distinction. I think it's important. I got you. We spoke about Wage War before, but they do very good generic metalcore. And sometimes, if you're not looking for anything special, it's okay. You're looking for something to dip your toe into. Wage War is okay, but for me, I'm looking for something. A little yeah, more. if you've been in the seen in the genre for long enough you're looking for that new thing yeah the thing around the corner and you want to be first to the yeah. pot of gold yep so, good stuff um so i recommend this by the way to please check it out for me absolutely they yeah. seeker keep your eye on they put a phenomenal live show and absolutely. that's even when they cut their set in half yeah not, not in half they like separated it <laughs> they, yeah they separated part part one from part two yeah so good um, stuff uh upon a burning body is doing three shows in texas back woo. to back to back uh, it's a hometown show, and on the last one in San Antonio, their hometown, that is the album drop show. Oh, cool. So right around the corner, that's June 7th or 8th, I believe those shows are, so I'm excited for this album. Do we have a single yet? No, we don't have a single No, yet. we don't have a single. I, uh, I'm i thinking one or two singles, max. That's all, think about it, that's all they have time for, unless they're going to drop one every week leading up to it, which wouldn't make sense, or one every other week, right? Yeah. Um, They've been kind of quiet about it, and that's okay. Yeah. I don't think... I think Upon a Burning Body is vocal through their music and not through their media presence. Yeah, they um they need to uh, they're one of those bands that doesn't need like you said the promotion necessarily because their music speaks for themselves, right? So if you know them, you know why people enjoy them. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a difference between a party band and a party song, and that's I feel like people will, will gonna go out and say, oh well, well you guys don't like Attila, why do you like Upon a Burning Body? Because there's a clear distinction between a party band and having a couple party songs. Yeah. And Upon a Burning Body is towards that right, a couple of party songs. Yeah, because I, I feel like, to me, I feel like Attila can't write a serious song. Like, they can't. I'm sure they have a couple out there. We just haven't gotten to them. But it, when a majority is, like this whole Alex Jones thing, and I don't mean to compare the two, but when most of what you put out is, like, call out and pizza and this and that, you the genuine <laughs> stuff gets lost, you know? Fair enough, yeah. You're right. All right. So, and, uh, so yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, All their merch is on clearance now. Their old, like, tour stuff is on clearance. T-shirts, 10 bucks, dude, hop on that. They have some good-looking merch. Absolutely. I never appreciated beforehand. I'm excited. Good stuff, man. It's probably going to be, unless something else is coming up sooner, this is probably one of the bigger on my anticipated list. Absolutely. I'm excited to see where it lands. Cool. All right, so uh, I did not put this review on here because I kind of wanted it to be a surprise. Cool. 
Gabe, how familiar are you with an artist named Billie Eilish? Uh, here and there. I've heard some of her stuff before, but I know Internet's freaking out over the, this new album. So, because they did freak out over the new album, and I actually came up in my, my store or whatever, and the album cover was very striking to me, and I look kind of looked deeper into it. I'm like, well, she's a pop artist. So this is kind of weird looking, the comparativeness of it all. I'm like, all right, fine. Let me give it a listen. Because you know me. I am the furthest away from wanting, Radio Top 40 hits. Yeah, want, wanting pop in my life as possible, right? So I gave the album a, down, a download, and I've been listening to it passively uh, the last couple of days. And the initial impressions are that this is a fantastic fucking album. Because it takes pop, and pop is a very easy formula, right? Uh, it takes that, and it kind of flips it on its head. It has dark tonality to it all, right? Pop is very bubblegum. This doesn't have the, those characteristics to it. It has a song called Zanny where it sounds like somebody's drugged. Like like the, like the, the music droops. It gets very bass-heavy at certain parts because it's kind of letting you know. It's kind of putting you in that mindset of somebody who's under the influence of something. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I definitely like it. It's definitely, she has a very distinct voice. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, it's, there's very few pop artists that I get behind. Um, obviously Bruno Mars, I get behind cause he's a tremendously, he's talented. our Michael Jackson. Yeah. He's, me? he's tremendously talented individual. I love Rihanna. I don't even fuck what anybody says. I, I love, yeah, I love Rihanna too. I love her. Uh, Maroon five. I would say. Yeah. Uh, yes or no. Sometimes you can't deny Adam Levine's talent though. Oh, absolutely. No, you can't. You can't. That, that, that would be wrong. Uh, I like Ellie Goulding. Like, there's very few oh, pop Oh, wow. Art. You like Ellie Goulding? Yeah, there's very few yeah, pop artists. That British accent does something to me. <laughs> Is she Australian? No, she's wrong. British. Okay, I could be wrong. So, uh, this girl created a piece, of, a piece of music that's very interesting, that breaks the mold of what most people are looking for when it comes to pop. And she kind of took it and made it her own and did something different. Uh, granted, it is still very early in the year. And uh, there's albums that I'm looking forward to way more coming up the horizon. But so far, I'm going to put Billie Eilish on top of my album of the year list. You know, you say that, but uh, our last year, at this point in time, our album of the year was Borderline Poppy. The the plot in you. It definitely had pop elements to it, but you know, more atmospheric than anything. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting approach because, like you said, you're the guy that... You're, this is the last thing you're going to listen to. Yeah. But I think... A lot of the times, it's this whole filter talk again where maybe shit that has a genre label on it gets caught up in there and we don't want to listen to it. Yeah. But uh, that being said, I think there's something special about taking um, a genre that's mostly formulaic and mm. that's mostly like you can go in and write a pop song in a couple hours and crank it out and be a number one hit or some shit, right? Uh -huh. but I think there's something interesting about that and putting your own artistic spin on it or like getting your message across. Yep. Because not to say that pop music doesn't have a message but a lot of the time it's superfluous it doesn't matter mm -hmm. and i'm glad you enjoyed the album and maybe i should give it a listen i do you know who would love it maddie maddie would love it uh she's a billy eilish fan so i don't oh. know if she's gotten around to it yet but uh, i started to show my wife i'm like it's it's, it's weird because we were we went to the, at the picnic like i said and i had it on adriana speaker i'm like it's it's weird i like it i like it because it's weird because it's like i said it's very easy it's very formulaic very simple to go to go through a pop album and be like well that's the radio single that's the radio single none of these things are related none of them connect this one doesn't have that problem. I feel yeah. like it's actually an album and not just a collection of songs. When I do a uh, album review, one of the last stages of it is like throw it on my good set of headphones and like do some work to it. Because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the times when I'm focusing on work, some of the tempo and some of the uh, production and shit like that, like gets, the musicality gets, gets to you and, yeah. you and you feel it, you know? And I think maybe you should throw it on those, those nice audio technicas and uh, <laughs> get back to me. 
definitely. Um, but so, very enthusiastic about her. And very she's cool. only 17 years old. A young girl doing cool stuff. Very like cool, it. man. There's a lot of up-and-coming talent and bands like Greta Van Fleet and Billie Eilish. And they're all young, men, and we're only getting older. And it's good to see that maybe the world won't be so bad after we leave. I told Adriana that I'm like... I'm like, I try to, like I said, I stay away from pop, but as far as like, or I guess, you know, radio stuff, but I'm like, if there's one band that I would want to watch right now, like live is Greta Van Fleet, put a fucking, have them play at the Aragon, grab me a beer. I'm fucking going nuts. Hanging out. Yeah. yeah. Having fun. Might even hit a doober. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But other than that, man, that's my review for the day. Uh, Very proper, man. You're breaking out of your show this year. A little bit, a little bit, a lot of it. All right. Now we got the, uh, the tuck. What's the talk? Oh, okay, I forgot about this. All right, which one right. you want? You want one or two? Give me one. Actually, no, I'm going to give you two because you're going to have more at stake here. Crisis. This is our March Madness semifinals. Crisis yeah. versus Beloved. All right, so Gabe has made an intentional uh, effort to conceal these from me, which ones I'm going to have to discuss on the podcast. So... He wants my initial gut check well, reaction. Well, here's my thing. If this album has made it this far, we've listened to it recently, and that was the point of no, you're right. the second round, right? Yep, absolutely. So you love both these albums. I do. I think that's fair. What, what is your standpoint right now? What, is, what are your initial thoughts? Talk me through your process. All right. So so Crisis, uh, we talked about it a little bit. We did a, the Alexis on Fire top 10 or 10 song set list. Most of them were off Crisis. Most of them were off Crisis. Um and it's, it's very hard to kind of put a genre in a bottle, right? I feel that Alexis on Fire with Crisis did that. Um, I think it's kind of the best of what we have to offer. And I think obviously at this point, we're coming down to the nitty gritty where we're kind of starting to decide what is the best of this or what we prefer in this you know scene of music. Um, it's very hard to go against... Dallas Green's vocals. His cleans are so fucking beautiful and so well intricate. It is. I would say he's one of the best vocalists of like recent memory. No, no, you'd be a hundred percent right with that. Um, it, it's, it's really amusing to me how you can make lyrics almost sound like a booming speech. Yeah. You know, and that's what this album feels like. Absolutely. Um, that's life is on fire. That's kind of just a brief overview of my thoughts on them. Uh, as far as I killed the prom queen, this is, the most vi- this album is one of the most violent pieces of music of all time to me uh, especially within the bracket that we've had that we put together I don't know man um, if I, my initial reaction Gabe uh, I killed the prom queen wins and but the- if we were being objective about it you gotta look at it as a whole And I don't mean to sway you here. If you truly believe it's beloved, then we can bump it up. Um, but you can't deny that if you, if we wrote down every lyric from Crisis and put them back to back, you couldn't tell me that sounds that doesn't sound like a speech. No, that you're right. Would give. But here's the but the want to know where the big gap in my head is at. Sure. I've seen Crisis being played live, and it was awesome, and it sounded real good. However. I've seen Beloved we get played live, and it was a otherworldly experience. Mm. So you're bringing stagemanship into this. Copy that. It's just it's a feel. It's a feel thing. You can't disassociate that. It's, just, it's oh, part. It's part of the package, you know. 
uh, I saw I killed the prompt queen played warp tour and they opened up with to the wolves and it was just the nastiest fucking banana crazy mosh pit I've ever seen. One of them. So is that your choice? That's my choice. I killed the prompt queen moves on to the next All round. Right. And I have a really big feeling that you're going to kick me right in the gut with this one. I'm not. You're not? Um, I actually re-listened to both of these recently, and my tour is El Son of the Emptiness, and All That Remains the Fall of Ideals. Okay. And let me tell you this. These albums aren't that different. Okay. I think they have similar structures. Um, obviously, the Fall of Ideals doesn't have that crazy overarching narrative. There is some between songs, but not as an album as a whole. But it's kind of hard because it's like, well, do I go to Starbucks and do I get tea or do I get a coffee is the question here. It really is because on paper, you dilute something with hot water, right? Mm -hmm. But in practice, you get something different. You get this bitter, black, energizing substance, coffee, or you get, well, I guess tea can be that too, right? But, you know, it's this kind of mentality. There are two very distinct flavors that come from the same source. Interesting, huh? And uh, huh. that that's kind of that's kind of this pike I'm at this this fork in the road, where both of them are masterpieces in their own right. But what kind of you know where where do we go from here? It's like I like both, and I I think I like them both equally. They're both nice and proper. That being said, though, um, one of the gripes with all that remains is that they stand out from a lot of this stuff that I quote unquote label as dad core is like a joke. Right. And all that remains as a band does that. And this album does it. It's it's, I put it right up there with early parkway drive, right? You know, it's very distinct. It has its tone. It has its sound and you can see where it influences a lot of these newer bands mm -hmm. and it does that. But then you have the emptiness, which kind of comes along. It creeps up on you and it's like Michael Myers and Halloween where you know they're coming out with an album, but then you turn around and you see the mask and you're like, oh shit, this is really close. And then you, you know, the movie goes on and the main actress, it's, you know, Lori is, there he is, there he fucking is in your face and you cannot ignore the emptiness and they got to give it to that man. I'm <laughs> okay. Sorry. And that, that was, that was kind of my approach to this man. Both are excellent in their own right. Yeah. And if we were being purely subjective, I would have definitely given it to all that remains. But I'm looking at it subjectively. I'm not, I'm really not trying to play favorites. Otherwise, you know, this would have been a whole fucking cobble of a mess, and we'd have been yelling at each other. <laughs> but uh, both albums have heart. I think the emptiness has a little bit more character. That I do honestly. I think it's the right choice. Um, now next next week is going to be something interesting. I haven't really decided how we're. Well, gonna... these are yours too, by the way. None of my shit made it through. <laughs> giving me shit, uh, but. I mean, like, The Emptiness as an album. Uh, Here, here's my thing, right? There's Christmas movies. And then there's A Nightmare Before Christmas. And that's what this album is. Like, there's nothing quite like A Nightmare Before Christmas. You know? There's other Christmas movies. And a lot of them are great in their own sense and its own frilly Christmas warm hot chocolate feeling. But then there's A Nightmare Before Christmas that takes this Christmas genre and turns it upside down and just completely reimagines the idea. And look at A Nightmare Before Christmas. You, there's stickers, clothes. People are still raving about this movie that's, you know, 10 years old or 12 years old at this point. I'm just saying with your analogy, I would have went with Die Hard, but sure. <laughs> Die Hard is great too. Yeah. But you, you see what I'm getting at, right? No. Yeah, I get you. The the Emptiness as an album, I mean, it's it, it, it you care about the story. 
story. Like the story is so intriguing and interesting. Yeah, we're, we're gonna mention this every week now. The story yeah. is so intriguing and interesting. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. But uh, so yeah, well, so that's it. That we're down to the final two. We're down to the final two. We're uh, down. How, how do you want to decide this? You want to come up with a list of points and argue them, or do you want to? <laughs> uh, well, I think you could give me either one. You, we could do that. You want to do a debate? We could do a debate and then maybe put it up on the internet. And then see. Let, let, let's do our debate. Which side do you want? You you assign them. I want you to assign them. I'll take beloved. Okay. Fair. I'll take that one. All right. Fair enough. And uh, looks like I got the emptiness by my daughter. I guess. Um, cool. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll we'll have a little fifteen minute debate on highlights of these albums and kind of summarize them. See, you're you're shit out of luck. Cause I'm a really good writer. And uh, <laughs> I'm gonna come. Up, I'm gonna come in here with fucking guns of blaze and whole ass dissertation on this album. All right, you better be prepared. I'll be prepared. I'm definitely gonna talk about it. This, of all the albums that I think to get to the end for me to be able to wax poetic about and actually talk about how I feel about it, I think this is a perfect album to end up with, for me. Yeah, and uh, balls in your court, buddy. Absolutely, balls in your court. So that is one thirteen. Yeah, that was episode one thirteen of the Second City Kids podcast. We are going to carry over our summer. Ten yeah, songs we, we kind of had some big stuff this week. So yeah. summer ten song set list songs that remind you about summer. No more than two songs per band. Yeah, I have. Uh, I already have a few. I, have yeah, a few I got. Right I got my list formulated. Not quite done yet, though. Yeah, absolutely. So, but until then, uh, obviously that was the Second City Kids podcast. You can go ahead and like us and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio. Which we got that problem fixed. We don't have that other random dude talking on our shit anymore. So that's great. Uh, you can go ahead and follow us on Podbean. Of fed ourselves some pretty good weeks the last couple of weeks, and we want to keep that going, keep that momentum moving forward, upwards and onwards. Uh, Excelsior, as Stan Lee would say. But other than that, uh, that is episode 113. We will see here, here back next week for episode 114 for the finals of the March Madness uh, core. Good stuff. Bracket. And, bracket. And um, probably have a variety of other things to talk about as well. But until then, do this. <laughs>